from the beginning of a new year. I don't know about you, but I love the, uh, when the calendar changes and uh, a new season starts. And it's not just 2017. It's just not just, you know, the flip of a calendar. It's actually a new season starts. And a lot of people's lives, they make New Year's resolutions. They make new uh, choices um, and plans and, and, and visions for the new year. And I love the beginning of a new year because it's a fresh start. And whether your last year went and you closed the calendar on 2016, you're like, oh, that was a great year. And you put it away and you, you know, your precious memory, you know, you just kind of just scrapbook the whole thing because it was so glorious. Or whether you closed 2016 and you burned it in your living room, whatever it was, is 2017. Yeah, some of you had one of those years too, right? So whatever is, it's a new start. And I love that is that we change the calendar, but it's also a, like a spiritual change. It's a breath of fresh air. It's, it's, it's a new beginning. And so I want to talk about a few things today, um, uh, very practical. And so my disclaimer this morning is that this morning is going to be inherently very practical. So if you're looking for a, a theological PhD today is not going to be it. But it's going to be something I believe that God's put in my heart. I've been praying as we move into the new year, but something that's really important that uh, is very, very practical. So if you have your Bible, let's start with Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I want to read uh, something to you today. Um, let's start at, uh, reading at uh, 13 here. So Paul says this, but I focus on this one thing. <laughs> I can remember that. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. I press on. I love that. I press on. It's not like I'm sort of giving something a try. The I press on means I'm pursuing. I'm taking down. It's actually in the Greek. It's no use giving you the Greek because you don't speak Greek to your friends and neighbors. But it means to actually to pursue, to take down. It means to tackle. It means to just come and just go after it and embrace and hold on to it. And so um, I want to ask you today what you are pursuing. What are you pursuing in 2017? What is, the, what, is, what is it that is your goal? What's some things that you would like God to do in your life and your family and in uh, the, your, your surroundings around you? So I want to talk a little bit today about something uh, called momentum. And you think, well, that's not very spiritual. Well, momentum's important. As we look at starting something, uh, momentum is something that's invisible. And yet, you can't see it, touch it, you can't measure it. You know, it doesn't have a, a quality that you can just, you know, there's no scale for it, but you know when you have it, and you know when you don't. You know what I'm talking about? Great example, how many of you watched the World Juniors uh, game a week and a half ago, hockey game? You know, if you're watching that, you know, if you didn't, you know, it was an exciting game. It was an exciting game of end-to-end rushes. And when our team had the momentum, it was awesome. I watched it at my friend Steve's place, and I'll never be invited back there to watch a game again. I mean, I kicked their dog, and it's like by mistake because I'm just, I'm playing, you know. So the dog, it's like 14 years old. He's moving real slow, and I'm like playing him. Go in the court. Go, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, just scream popcorn flying as they're driving towards the end. They're cycling the puck. They're shooting, and they're shooting, and they're shooting. I'm like, I'm just like losing my mind. Mind, you know, and they had so much momentum. I was like, yeah, they got it. And they're just four to two and they're putting it, you know, and, and they, they're on fire when they had a momentum. And then when they lost it, they just, they just fell apart. They just fell apart. They're in their end zone and they're just praying, you know, for the, you know, for the buzzer, for the end of the, you know, the period. They just totally lost their momentum and they were scrambling. And the same thing happens in our life, in our uh, marriage, in our family, is when you have momentum, you feel it. And it's an invisible thing. You don't know exactly what caused it, but you're like, you know what, we're, we're going somewhere. Something's happening. 
So when it's, you know, there's that synergy that's created when you have it in church or in business, you're just like, we're just moving the ball forward. Something is happening. We feel like we're progressing each and every day, even if it's incremental. Momentum is happening. And so you know what? Momentum is really important in our life. We need it. I think God wired us to have momentum. God wired us to keep moving things forward, even if it's not leaps and bounds, even if it's one step at a time, even if it's an incremental way, God wired us to be moving forward. And so if you look at the Word of God through this lens, is the Bible is all about momentum lost and found. The children of Israel languishing in slavery for 400 years, God brings them out of slavery into the promised land, momentum found, you know. The people, you know, in the Old Testament turn from God and get captured in slavery, you know, get oppressed, and then God brings a deliverer. Gideon comes and brings them out, momentum found. Momentum lost, momentum found. It's a signature of our history, of our humanity. So it's something that's important. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. We're going to start today, and we're going to continue next week. So it's like a two-part series. No, momentum is forward motion towards a goal or objective. Forward motion. When I think momentum, the picture that is in my mind that is so crystal clear, it's of the up, you know, up in the, uh, the great north by Perry Sound. It's ripping down a gravel road and looking over and seeing Howie Nye with a big grin on his face and wind streaming through his hair as he's on this quad, you know, just so happy to be out in nature. And he's ripping along at top speed. And I come beside him, you know, and, and look over. He's like, you're on fire. And he goes, yeah, baby, I'm on fire. And I'm like, no, you're on fire. And he looks down, the smoke pouring out, you know, and he really was on fire. But I mean, that's the picture that is in my mind. When I think momentum, it's Howie ripping down that road. And I just love that. I say, yeah, baby, I'm on fire. And I'm like, no, you are really on fire. Look down. So momentum is forward motion. And so if forward motion is important, how do we get to it? You know, how do we get to that place? And so I kind of wrote from um, back to forward. And so, you know, next week we're going to talk a bit about momentum, how to gain it, how to keep it. But the reality is, as I was thinking more about this and praying more about it, I said, how do you get momentum if you feel like you're not moving? So what is the opposite of momentum? The opposite of momentum, as I would say, it is stuck. The opposite of momentum is, not, is, 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 is being stuck somewhere. And so, you know, if you're stuck, you know, have you ever felt stuck before? You know, stuck is like you're not moving. And when you're when you're trying to push something forward, whether you're trying to jumpstart it and keep it going, it's like when you try and help somebody and their car won't start. And it's a standard, luckily. So you get behind, everyone gets behind, they're like, push. And they're like, pop the clutch, pop the clutch. And then they start it and it starts moving, you know. And then, and then they mess it up and stall it. And you're like, okay. So you go and you push it again. And then they get it going and it starts running. And then they mess it up again and they stall. And you're like, get out. <laughs> Climb in and let me show you how to keep this thing running. Because it's forward, it's, it's forward motion. And it's, you know, if you've ever been in a place of stuck, you know what I'm talking about. And so I want us to talk a little bit about getting unstuck today. Because getting unstuck is beginning to regain that forward momentum and that forward motion and how, how that we keep it. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, next week about how to get, you know, how to keep that momentum going. But I want to talk about stuck today because I have a PhD in stuck. I'm actually a professional at stuck. I'm stuck a lot, just by experience. I don't have a degree in it, but you know what reality is, is I've been stuck a lot because I just inadvertently, and it's never my fault. <laughs> How many know? You know, that's probably not true. Is uh, get stuck. And so uh, if you've ever been stuck before, you know, it's a terrible place to be. And uh, let me give you one example of being stuck, just one out of just a couple. 
um, examples is one time is, is I borrowed uh, uh, a friend of mine, you know, his truck, um, Steve Barry, and he was working on mine. He said, take my truck, and it's like a Bronco with like 38-inch mudders on it, and left kid, he says, swap that, take it home, I'll fix yours, and so I take it home to Dick's farm, and I park it in the yard, and Ronnie comes out looking at it. Ronnie's like, whoa, nice truck, boy, this could go through a lot of mud, and I was like, yeah, and so Ronnie says, we should take it out for a mud run, drive it on Dick's field, and let's just go find some mud, and I was like, no, Ronnie, I'm going to put a coat of wax on it. And Ronnie's like, no, no, we got to go out, test it. Let's find some mud and run it. I was like, no, no, Ronnie, I don't do things like that. I'm a little scared to, you know, get dirty. How many know that I'm lying absolutely right now? <laughs> it's the other way around. And so I was like, Ronnie, I said, come out. And I said, let's just go find some mud a little bit. And so Ronnie gets out and he comes with me. I had to promise him that he wouldn't get his clothes dirty. It's more fun picking on him when he was here. I picked on him last night. But so Ronnie comes in, jumps in, and we go ripping around, and we tear around the farm, and we are having such a blast. I mean, this thing was awesome. I mean, with those mutters on it, you could throw like a 30-foot rooster tail. It was, it was incredible. It's even funner that it was somebody else's truck. But don't tell Steve. Somebody's going to go back and know. He knows about this anyway. So then we drive through, and, and, we, and we, everything is going good until we go down by Dick's Creek. Where they had, like, years ago, they had the Mud Olympics. We see this giant mud puddle. And Ronnie's like, do you think we can go through it? He says, I don't, you better turn back around. I don't think you can go through that. And that was the wrong thing to say. See, my brain has a dysfunction. And when somebody says you can't do it, what I hear in my mind is, go for it. So when you say, Jamie, I don't think you can do that, I can't help myself that I have to back up. And I'm backing up. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I see that look before. And I just put it in. And we just ran for the mud puddle. And we buried that truck. I mean, buried it that, I mean, like you open the door and you get up out of the mud to climb out of it, you know? And we buried it to the axles. And Ronnie's like, what are we going to do? And he's like freaking out. And so we try to get some shovels and throw wood under it and try whatever we can. I'm like, this is not going to work at all. We're stuck. So we walk back to the farm. Of course, this doesn't happen, you know, like in broad daylight. This is the middle of the night now. We both have to work the next day. Walk back to the farm, get the tractor and a chain. Let's go yank that thing out. So we hook it up and Ronnie's like, oh, let's go. We go to give her, and I just bury that tractor right up to the axles. I mean, it's starting to move, and, and, uh, and I was, like, just determined to pull that thing out, and I wouldn't give up until I opened up the door in the tractor and walked out on dry ground. I mean, it was buried like I've never seen a tractor buried. And so I was like, we are really in trouble now. And so we went and, uh, you know, uh, got Dick's, you know, other tractor, and, uh, you know, the one that had been sitting in the garage that he just got John Lanus to paint that had a new chrome stack. And he's like, I'm leaving it till spring because I don't want it to get dirty. I don't want to bring it out, but we'll just bring it out. So I said, Ronnie, I said, if we bring it out, use it to pull everything out, power wash it off, he'll never know the difference. Dick will never know. Park it back in the garage, be all shiny, life is good, no one will ever know. And Ronnie's like, that's a good plan. And so we got the big four-wheel drive, and we got the chain that hooked it up, and we gave a go on it, and, <laughs> and we buried that thing right to the bottom. So he walked home defeated, went to bed, got up for chores the next day, and Dick comes out, and I was like, hey, good morning, Dad. And he's like, yeah, good morning, because he's happy in the morning. And I was like, I got stuck with Steve's truck last night in the field. He's like, oh, that kind of ruts it up a little bit. That's okay. Take the tractor and pull it out. I was like, <laughs> uh, I did, and it got stuck. And he's like, oh. Again, this is not a new story to Dick. And he's like, all right, I didn't want to pull it out, but pull out the four-wheel drive tractor, hook up the chain, pull it out. I didn't want to take it out, but he says, go and do that. And I was like, silent. I was like, I did. He says, where is it? I said, in the field with the rest of them. And Dick's not a screamer. This is what he did. 
and just walked away. I just like shrank. I was like, oh, that's like a scream to death. It's like a throat punch from, you know, come from, when Dick goes silent, it's really bad. But you know what? He came back five minutes later. His anger was quickly dispelled. And the reality is, is that I had to humble myself, come to my dad and say, I can't get unstuck. I'm, you know, we've tried everything. I've, I've used every bit of power, every equipment, everything that I know how to do. I need to come to you and ask for you to call for bigger stuff. And so, you know, the reality is the lesson that was learned there is that he quickly made a call that morning and had Larry Moyer come out. And Larry still remembers. He's still got a big grin on his face coming out with the excavator and digging all three of those vehicles out at $150 an hour. <laughs> it was an expensive mud run. But the reality was is that I had to come to the place to say, I can't do this alone. I'm stuck and can't get myself out. And that's hard, especially for us guys. We're independent to say, like, I got this on my own. I got this. I got this. I got this. I didn't. I needed my dad to come in and call bigger stuff. And you know what? That's really uh, what we want to talk about today is because we all have stuckness. And I know this is like terrible grammar. If you're an English teacher, I apologize. We all have areas of stuck in our life. Let me first of all say is that, you know, is that usually when we're stuck, it's not your whole life. It's one or two things. Let me just put a, a disclaimer there is that, you know, sometimes when we feel in a place of being stuck, it's not our whole life, even though it's overwhelmed, it's amplified. We're like, oh, my whole life sucks. I'm, I'm stuck. It's not. It's usually one or two things. It's usually that job or that person or your boss or that relationship or that financial pressure that's coming on. It's usually one or two things. Come on. That's the reality. It's not your whole life. It's one or two things, but you feel stuck. Where, do, where are people stuck? So it's not, it, we have areas of stuck in our life. Some areas that we're open, that are, that are glowing, that are flourishing, that we're doing amazing, but there's areas of stuckness in our life. People get stuck in relationship. Can't communicate anymore. Families don't talk. People just kind of gravitate around and don't, you know, deal with things. And it gets left for weeks, if not years. People get stuck in jobs or career, and they're like, I just feel stuck where I'm at. And they don't know how to describe it any other way than stuck. People get stuck in financial situations and debt, and that's stuck. You know, they want to do things, and they have great plans and ideas, and yet the, they can't answer their phone because the creditor's calling. That's stuck. Spiritually, people get stuck. We get stuck in our prayer life because we're praying, and our prayer goes, whoop. We're praying. We're like, God, are you here, here, here? It's Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. There's nothing happening. We're praying. There's no answer coming. We're like, God, are you even here? We get stuck in our spiritual life. We read the Bible. And we're trying to do what, you know, what we, we know we should do. We go to church, and we're, and we're still believing, and yet we feel stuck spiritually. People get stuck in unhealthy habits. And so what I want to talk about today is how to get unstuck. And again, it's not a formula. I, I don't want to come say, if you do A, B, and C, that I guarantee the results here, you know, no money back guarantee, you know, call now. This is, this is some principles from God's word that are important that I think if you apply these things will really help us, your life and mine. So when we talk about getting unstuck, there's a, there's a couple things, and we're going to look for me in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start reading at the beginning of the chapter. Here's a couple of principles that I, help, I think will help us to get unstuck. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, 
especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The first principle I want to say is when we get to a place of being stuck is you need to ditch excess weight. Now, I brought some weight with me today, and I was like, you know, I was going to bring some, like, should have talked to Lisa and got some powerlifting weights, but I brought, that's actually Mark when he was moving to Townsend with Bethany. (laughs) No, it's from China or something like that, but you'd think that Mark would load that way. I brought my backpack today it is because my cousin Josh and I are getting ready for our annual winter uh, minimalist expedition into the wild. And so we're going up to Killarney. And what we do is we just kind of break trails, snowshoe in into the wilderness, survive on as little as possible. And so I've got kind of my gear and everything all set up for it. And I'm ready to go, even though it's crazy and ludicrous. Every time we come out, we're like, we're nuts. Why don't we go somewhere warm like Mexico instead of going to like northern Ontario? And... Uh, but, you know, the, the weight which you have to carry is really important. And so, you know, if I was to come before you today and say, like, okay, I'm getting ready. See, I'm all geared up here. I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. I'm going to do a marathon run. I'm ready to run a race. You would look and say, like, uh, maybe you should get rid of some of this. But, I mean, look, what if you're running the marathon? You need a sleeping bag. I need to stop a little bit. Or I've got a granola bar and cliff bars, you know. What if I need, you know, some survival stuff in the back here? I've got food, you know. I, I might need some of this stuff. And so we accumulate stuff, don't we? And so as we're walking around and you're like, okay, so you're, you look ridiculous walking around with this big backpack in church. I get that. It's okay. I can admit it. This looks ridiculous. It's being in church. Was back. I was going to walk in and just walk around and see how many people notice right from the beginning of church, drink my coffee, talk to everybody and be like, uh, who's the weirdo with the backpack? And they're like, oh, that's the guest speaker. It's like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm heading to my car then. Because I want us to think about how, you know, how crazy that is. And that looks ridiculous, carrying around, especially if you're going to run a race. Okay, I'm going to run a race. You're like, lose the weight. It seems obvious, right? When runners run, I mean, they're just like, they're just tank tops and short shorts. You don't look at me like that. That's the racers run with. I mean, it's tank tops and shorts. They're running they're, they, as minimal as possible to keep the weight down because they're trying to, you know, to gain a, a distance. But you know what? We carry a lot of stuff. Take, for instance, a woman's purse. And I love that my wife carries a purse. Don't throw anything yet. No, no tomatoes yet. But I love my, my wife carries a purse because when I got the car keys and my wallet and a bunch of stuff, it's awesome. I can be like offloaded over to her. I say, can you put this in your purse? And I can't carry it here. And, and I just load her down because I know that, you know, her purse is already carrying a whole truckload of stuff. And I know that some of the ladies here, your, your, your purse carries, you know, an, an amazing display. I'm always amazed what's, you know, what's, what's in a woman's purse, you know, car keys, cards, cell phone, makeup, lip balm, medicine, hearts of men. <laughs> I just threw that in there to see if you're really listening. <laughs> but, you know, we carry a lot of stuff. And if it, be honest, if we had a few, let's just pick a ladies to come up and, and, and see, you know, what's in your purse. You probably, well, I need to clean it out a little bit. It's got a few excess stuff. How many know what I'm, t- wave at me if this is you. Come be honest. You'd be like, I need to clean up. I'm carrying a little bit of excess. I, I mean, I'm overdoing it here for a purpose, but you're carrying a lot of extra stuff too. We all carry more than we need, don't we? And, I, and so I, I was interested, so I Googled it, and I was like, what are the weirdest things that women carry in their purse? And so it was a site where women were writing in saying, you know what, this is what I, and I was like, it just made me laugh. I had to share a couple of things with you here. What is the weirdest you know, things that women carry around in their purse that you find? And so they were looking in their purse and then would write in on this. Number one, Xbox controller. Now, let me speak to the young men for a second. If you date a girl that is carrying an Xbox One controller in her purse, marry that girl. 
put a ring on it right away. I mean, wow, like, if she's carrying a spare Xbox controller, I mean, just, just marry her right away. Xbox controller, Tabasco sauce, Rubik's Cube, hard-boiled egg in a bag, a kazoo, a crumpled movie ticket from the Karate Kid 1984. Come on. They carry a lot of unnecessary uh, baggage in there. But you know what? The truth is this, is I know where, and don't worry, I'm going to pick on the men a little bit later too, so they'll get a chance. But, you know, we all carry excess baggage. Examples of things that we carry would be bearing the burden of what other people think about us. You think this backpack's heavy. Carrying that burden of trying to live up to other people's expectations is huge, isn't it? Like, how do you bear that? How do you keep up with the Jones? How do you keep up to what other people think you should be and what you should do? Bearing the burden of social obligations, carrying the burden of judgment, anger, disappointment, unforgiveness. <laughs> this backpack's nothing compared to carrying around the grand piano of unforgiveness. See, in order to get unstuck, when you're stuck in a boat on a sandbar and you get lodged in, what is the first thing they do is you throw stuff overboard or, you know, you climb to, to raise the buoyancy so you can get off the sandbar. And in the same ways, we need to let go of some stuff. In order to get unstuck, I'd like to be able to wave a magic wand, but I don't have one, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is we need to, what Paul says here, I strip off everything that slows me down. He said some of those things, some of those weights are sin. You know, some of those things are sin in our life, habits, addictions, you know, uh, ungodly thinking, you know, patterns in our mind. Some of it's sin, but some of it's just stuff. What stuff that's slowing you down? What stuff that keeps you stuck in the mud? Because right now, if I stepped out in the mud, I'd be, well, it's a little more frozen now, but I'd be sunk up to my knees because of the weight that I'm carrying. What's some things that you're carrying? Some stuff that, that weighs us down in our life can be social media, Right? Sometimes, you know, trying to, you know, just all the time can be like Instagram or, you know, Facebook, just living there. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it consumes like six hours of your life or, you know, or weighs you down, you're always like trying to balance your life by people you don't, you know, that, that, that friend group, it can weigh you down, right? That's stuff. It's, it's not necessarily sin. It's not putting in the bad carry, but it's just weight. Can we live with less, you know? Do we need to carry that? So what's some things that, that we can let go? So I want to, first of all, to get unstuck is, is encourage you to ditch some weight. And so I'm going to take this off because it's getting a little heavy. I'm trying to get used to it, but it, I don't think you ever really get used to it. So first principle is ditch some weight. Let some things go. And maybe as we're talking and, 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 and God's just, you know, I just pray that, that God would just be nudging some areas and say, you know what, just, here's something I think you should let go. It's just weight. You know, it's a distraction to you. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know what? I think this distracts you. So that's number one. Number two, let's look at this. Number two slide, if you want to bring that up, it's stop looking at the mud. Stop looking at the mud. The truth is, is what is your focus? So if you want to get unstuck and you keep looking at the mud, you will never get unstuck. You'll never get unstuck. Because whatever you're focusing on is that's where you're going to be. And some people are just stuck and they're like, I'm in the mud. And let me just tell you about the mud and my family in the mud. And, and their whole story is about the mud. And they just, you know, get to a place, especially if they've been there for a long time. They're like, I brought a couch into the mud and I just eat in. I'm just right here. My whole world is in the mud. And they're like, and all of a sudden it just becomes their zone. They never move out of that place. Because we can't get unstuck unless we take our eyes off of the mud. See, what we look at is we're going to hit. As I remember um, teaching, you know, my kids to drive, and we have four out of five drivers right now. 
Help us, Jesus. <laughs> On the road and teaching Skylar how to drive. And when I was teaching Skylar how to drive, one day we left Stelkirk and we're going down this road right here. And as we're driving, and I see right in the middle of the road this dead raccoon. I was like, Skylar, just learn to drive. And I was like, he's kind of hugging the middle. I was like, we're not New Zealand. Come on, move over a little bit here, you know. And I was like, don't hit the raccoon. He's like, okay, I got it. And as we're driving, I could see him just steering more towards him. I'm like, hey, don't hit the raccoon because we're getting closer. And it's not just a dead raccoon. This is summertime. This is a big raccoon and a big bloated raccoon. I was like, and I just have a little Honda Civic. I was like, don't hit that raccoon. He's like, okay, I got it. And he's just looking, looking. We get closer. And I'm like, ah, boom. And he just runs that thing right over. I mean, it was like a cement block. He ran over that dead bloated raccoon in the summertime. And I was just like, you know that stomach, you know, that feeling you get? You're like, ah. Oh. And I was like, Skylar, why'd you hit it? And he goes, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it, Dad. And I was like, but there's the reality is, is what we're looking at. When he's staring at it, staring at it, staring at it, he just couldn't help but run that thing over because that's all he was seeing, right? And the same thing with you and I in our life is what we're looking at. Sometimes we're like, okay, don't think this, don't sin, don't, you know, don't, you know. And we're focusing on the mud all the time, trying to not think about it. Trying to not think about that raccoon we're steering. But whatever we focus on is we hit. And so... Um, the object that I want to encourage you about this is binoculars. What do binoculars do? Perfect. Wow, you got, whoa, that's what you guys look like at the back. All right. You see Uncle Bob now. I think he was just scratching a little bit. Uncle Bob, were you just digging for a bat in the cave there? <laughs> Keep going. All right. This brings things, the purpose of binoculars is to bring things up close, to zoom in on where you're going. So the idea of you use binoculars so you can zoom in and say, I want to be there, it brings it in. It, it takes your attention off as it takes your focus to a place and zooms in. But what happens if, what happens if you turn them around? Put the binoculars backwards and see, what do you see? Yeah, it's like crazy here. Let me try this. Try, that. try it backwards. I know, every, we ha, all have, you know, we switch it around to see, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Yeah, I mean, the funniest thing is, just, yeah, you look better. <laughs> yeah. I look better in the dark, I know. Um, so if you turn it around, what happens is it switches it around so that actually everybody is far away and, and you know, and, and, your, and your perception is all off. And the funniest thing you ever watch is just watch like Chinese soccer with binoculars. They're all running around with binoculars taped to their head playing soccer. And they're all just trying to kick. And it's the funniest thing because no one can do it because just your perception's off. You can't tell. You guys look so far away and you're completely lost in it. And that's what sometimes we do in our life. If you took binoculars, I'll leave them up here. Come and take a look at it, you know, after the service there. But we get things turned around so that everything becomes out of perception in our life. Our focus is lost because everything seems far away and unachievable. Like, I can't get there. Forget it. I'll never be out of debt. Forget it. I'll never be free. I'll never be out of this place. I'm going to be stuck where I am. And so perception and focus is so important. So if we look at here, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, to read in verse 2, it says, so he says, uh, to run the race, strip off every weight. Verse 2, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. For the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So what do we do is we focus on Jesus. My question is today is in order to get out of the stuckness in our life, what are you focusing on? Because if you're focusing on the problem, 
like you won't get out of the problem. You won't get out of the mud. If we're focusing on, this is where I am, and usually with the binoculars, we're looking down at our own situation. We're focused on ourselves, and we're like, I can't get out of this. I know because our focus is supposed to be here. How many times does the Word of God say, lift up your eyes? How many times does a psalmist say, you know, this, I, oh, soul was downcast. He just, I look up to God and see my deliverer has come. Is this, because we in human nature get looking at our own belly buttons. We get looking at our own navels. We're, oh, God, it's so bad, and life sucks, and everybody hates me. And we're looking at our own navel, and God's going, lift up your eyes. Focus on me. It says here is that we would fix our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would focus on him saying, God, I'm not just going to look at the problem. I'm going to focus on the solution, which is you. You are the one that will help me to be unstuck in this area of my life. And so, you know, that's part of the renewing of our mind by the washing of the word is that instead of being focused on the problems, we become solution-oriented instead of problem-focused. So ditch excess weight. Stop looking at the mud. Number three, this is where I get to pick on the guys, is we ask for a toe. (laughs) I wanted to find a Ford in there, really, but... <laughs> just to pick on the Ford guys. You know, no, I like all trucks, but it's just fun to pick on Ford because they get really upset. I wanted to find a stuck Ford, but there was too many. <laughs> anyway, you know, and the reason that this is so, and you're like, well, that seems obvious. Well, it's obvious, but, you know, let, let's pick on men for a second here. What's the man mantra? We don't ask for help. We don't ask for directions. Repeat after me. We don't read instruction manuals. We're not lost. We're finding a different way right? There's something within, if I can pick on guys for a second, that says, I got this. I got it. You know, and our, and our, our wife or girlfriend, spouse, significant others nudge us saying, just stop and ask for direction. No, no, I'm not lost. Yeah, we pass signs for like the French border, you know, like you're going to come back here. No, no, I'm just finding a different way. We, we always go this way to Thunder Bay, <laughs> right? Like we don't, come on, guys. Loosen up a little bit. We don't ask for joy. There's something in us, you know, that just says, I got this on my own. I got it. I'm a self-made man. I picked myself up by my own bootstraps, and I made, I'm a self-made man. It's that cowboy thing, you know, chest out, boots out right there. I got this. But you know what? The truth of it is, is that's a lie. The truth of it is I found that to be a lie that I embraced and walked with many years of my life. Growing up with three sisters and a mom in our household, and, 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 and at a young age, I was kind of, you know, thrown into kind of the provider kind of role in a lot of ways, and, and I had and embraced that. I got this. I'll do it. If something needs to be done, you figure it out for yourself, and they're like, if you want your first car, you make it happen on your own, and you have that independence till you get to the place of being so stuck, you say, God, I can't do this. That's a lie. I can't do life on my own. I can't do life on my own. I need your help. I need to ask for help. And I always had a time, hard time asking for help. I mean, you know, it's the most ridiculous things. I just, you know, and maybe you can relate or maybe you can't, but I'm just like, I got this. You know, Dick hanging up the big, you know, the, the windmill things. You know, he's like, we got to hang up those big turb, you know, the big blades on the windmill right by the, you know, right by the pond right there. And I got this. I'm up on a ladder trying to hold it. We're going to try and bolt it in there. And I'm just hanging there like, you're going to die. And all of a sudden, Howie rolls in with the, you know, the boom truck and it just makes it a whole lot better because Dick knew enough to ask for help. Ask for a toe. Part of what's important in getting unstuck is actually asking for help, realizing that we need help. The Harvey Brooker weight loss slogan says, if you could do it alone, you'd have... Come on, you guys don't listen to the radio? If you could do it alone, you'd have done it already. And even if that voice is annoying, 
If you could do it alone, you would have done it already. It's true. He stole that from God. (laughs) I mean, it's a biblical principle. God is saying the same thing. If you could have done it alone, if you could have broke out of that thought pattern, if you could have, you know, done relationship better, if you could have fixed that problem yourself, you'd have done it already. So the fact of the matter is we need help. Part of getting unstuck is coming to that humble realization, coming before our daddy and saying, God, I need your help to get unstuck. I need to get unstuck. I need a toe here. I'm stuck in this situation. I'm stuck in this place in my life, and I need you. I need your help. One of the greatest promises from God's word is found in Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 and 12. And it talks about, you know, God has a plan and a purpose and a hope for your life. But if you read in 12 and 13, it says, And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. What an awesome promise that is. It's like God is not just watching. He's not playing a game that he's like, come and find me over here. It's not a steeple chase. He's not in a distant galaxy waiting for us to call. He is saying, if you call for me and search for me with your whole heart, I will be found by you. And we have a hard time asking for help. Sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes God sends the answer when we miss it. A couple weeks ago, I was just helping. Uh, one of my sons got his car stuck in the ditch. It was a snowstorm, and we were waiting for CAA, and they said two hours. I'm like, oh, dude, it's going to be the longest two hours waiting here. And as we're sitting there, a diesel truck rolls up, a Ford, of course. <laughs> I rolled down my window. I didn't want to because it was a Ford, but big diesel dually rolls up, and the guy says, you want to help? You want to tow? And I was like, no, no, I got it. CAA is coming. He says, I got a tow strap. We can yank it out. No, no, I, oh, we're waiting for CA. And he starts to drive off. And I'm like, stupid. Help is right here. God already sent the answer. And I'm going to sit hopefully waiting for maybe or maybe not. And I was like, God already sent the answer. So I jump out of my car and run up there. Hey, dude, <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, let's give it a try. Because my first reaction again was, I got this. Do you see how deep the, this, this thinking is? God says if we search for him with our whole heart, he will be found by us. He's not hard to find. He's right there. He's as close as the mention of his name to say, God, I need your help. And he's like, I'm there. God, I need a toe. He's like, I got the rope. I got it already. I got it. We need to ask for a toe from others, friends, family, church. That's why we need community. Some would say is you don't need to be, go to church to be a Christian. And that's absolutely true. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. But you know what happens out of this community that, that we call church, and it's, and it's big, and it's messy, and it's imperfect. But the fact is, is you have like-minded people that if you say, I, I, I need a toe. You don't think if one person in the parking lot left their lights on during church here while this preacher went on and on and on, and you killed your battery, that said, I need, I need a toe, you know, I need uh, somebody with jumper cables. There wouldn't be like three people in here that be, you know, hook up their jumper cables and help them, right, John? They'd come and help them there. This is what church does. This is what we do. We maybe don't have it all together. We don't have it perfect. There isn't any church that has it perfect. But you know what? It's a group of people that says, if you need a tow, I got, I got a rope. You need a boost? I got booster cables. Let's boost. Let, let's get this thing going. We're on the journey together. But you know what? Is the hard thing is you got to ask. Come on, guys. You got to ask. You got to say, hey, I, I need a bit of a boost. You got to be real. You have to be humble. So number one, to get unstuck, you got to ditch excess weight. Number two, you got to stop looking at the mud. Number three, you got to ask for a toe. And number four, you have to change course direction. You have to change your course. The last object that if I was to lose something and I was walking along or left my pack and it swept down river, you know, 
you know, crossing, some creek crossing, and I had to grab one thing out, and they said, it wouldn't be the cliff bar. It wouldn't be my granola. It wouldn't be, you know, some of those. If this washed down and I was only, you get one thing out of it, it would be this. This would be the only thing that I want to get. Everything else can wash down. I may go hungry, but I can lose a little. You know, and I could lose some comfort and be a little colder, but you know what? I'd grab this. This is a compass because this will help me to find my way home. Getting unstuck is about finding your way back home again. And it's about changing a course of direction. It's about changing, you know, making a course correction in our life. And so a lot of times is that the, the, the ditching excess weight and, and, and changing our focus and asking for a tow will get us unstuck. But what keeps us going so that we don't come back into this again is that we have to make a direction change. I read an article one time in a naval magazine about uh, uh, an officer who was on board a battleship. And it was two battleships, and they were on maneuvers. And it was, the visibility was low. There was a patch of fog. It was stormy. The captain stayed on the, on the bridge that night while he was on watch to, to keep an eye on everything that was going. And so as they were maneuvering around in the storm and, and the low visibility, as the lookout on the wing said, Captain, I see a light coming. And the captain says, is it steady towards us or is it breaking, you know, southward? He says, it's steady. Steady means imminent collision. So he said to the signalman, and it was an older battleship like this, they have the signal light. You know, the big light with the shutters on, and they would do the, like the code. And they're just doing the, the, the coding letters. He says, send message. Says, collision course imminent. Change your course 20 degrees. So he sent that towards the other light. And so the light flashed a message back, suggest you change your course 20 degrees. So the captain says, I'm a captain. Send this message. I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. And so the signalman looks over and he changes, sends a message and waits, and the message comes back. I'm an ape uh, seaman, fourth class. Change your course 20 degrees. So, of course, the captain is just like livid by this time. I mean, as a Navy, you don't tell a naval captain, you know, in the American, you know, Navy, you know, be pushed around like, so it's just bringing out the Scottish in him. He says, All right, send the message back. I'm the captain of a battleship, and you will change your direction 20 degrees. Probably didn't have Scottish, but it sounds so much better. (laughs) So the signalman signals back that message, you know, back to the other thing. And they wait for a second, and a short reply comes back, and it says, we're a lighthouse. (laughs) He says, in true story, he says, we changed our course 20 degrees. We ate it and changed our course 20 degrees. And so, you know, the reality is, is how many times in our life do we keep running our life up on the rocks? And you're like, oh, I ran up on the rocks again because we keep following the same course pattern. See, all of these things are good. It will help you get unstuck. But if you just drive down, if Ronnie and I got unstuck, Larry Moyer dug us out and we run back there and drove into the, back into the hole, what would he be doing? Dick would be like, do you have no brain? I just got you out, you know, and you drove around and drove right back into the hole again. But you know, we do that in our life, don't we? We drive back and we fall into it and you're like, oh, I don't know. I can't believe I fell into this again, you know. I just, you know, can't believe I keep, you know, meeting all these dumb guys, you know, and I just, they're just all garbage, you know. Like, why does this keep happening? Well, maybe you shouldn't look for them in in Tinder, you know. Maybe you should fish in a different hole. Well, that went over good. <laughs> we better wrap this up before I get thrown out. But you see, we keep falling. You say, oh, I just, I keep falling into these bad relationships, or I keep making bad business decisions, or I keep driving down, you know, and I'm, I'm going to AA, and I'm, I'm conquering, you know, but, I, you know, but that new job at LCBO is making me struggle. And I'm not making light if you're overcoming, you know, uh, alcoholism, but if, you, if you're an alcoholic, you don't get a job at LCBO. 
right? If you're struggling in an area, you don't put yourself back into that environment. You make a new course direction in your life. And that's what I want to wrap up by saying is that all of this, getting unstuck is a choice. It's a choice. Let me finish by saying this this quote from Dennis Watley, and then we're going to pray. He says this, there are two primary choices in life, to accept the conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. You should write that down because that's really good. Because how many times do we get in a place and we say, it will never change. My life will never change. I'm always going to be this way. I can't change. I keep falling back in that hole. And God says, take responsibility for your life and set a new course. So instead of just driving, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veer around it. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to overcome it by positive thinking. I'm by the strength of my voice. I'm going I'm to jump that hole in the road. God says, no, just take a different road. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I'm the road. Jesus says, don't take that same road because there's a hole in you. You're like, yeah, I fell into it a hundred times. Jesus says, take a different road. That's the invitation today is that not to walk and try to overcome life on our own is to follow Jesus and take a completely different course direction so that we don't get same stuck in the same hole again. Can we just take a moment and pray right now and ask very simply, I want to pray just as a group and as a family that God would help us to get unstuck in areas that we're stuck. Because I don't know what you're going through. We can come in with a smile. On my, I can come in and be smiling in my face and hair there. And you're like, hey, it's good. You know, on the inside, I'm just crying. The inside just broken. You don't know what's happening on the inside of me. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. But if there's areas of stuckness, can we ask that God would just nudge and say, let me help you out of that. Let me, let me help you to get you back on the road again. Let's get back out of the rhubarb and back on the, on the pavement again. And set a different course direction in your life. Today is a new day. It's a new series It's a new uh, season in your life. It's a new year. So let's make a new start and get unstuck. Amen? Father, we just come before you, and I just humbly praise that, Lord, the, the amazing thing about this, and sometimes it's so simple that we miss it, is getting unstuck is about humility. Getting unstuck is actually letting go and encumbling and saying, God, we need you to give us a toe. We need to follow and make a new course direction in our life. So, Lord, I just pray right now, there's areas of stuckness in our life, whether it's in relationships or, or, or we're just stuck in a spiritual you know, place right now or, you know, or in our job or finances are crowded and we just feel buried in by that. God, will you help people right now? Would you step into our life? Is that I love your promise in your word that says when we search you, when we seek for you with our whole heart, you will be found by us. So, God, come in and bring answers. Come in and bring solutions. Come in and bring course change and direction to our life right now. Help us to take responsibility of our life, Lord, and set our eyes upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us to become unstuck this year and move forward and gain your momentum in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me close by saying this. The momentum I'm talking about here is all about God. He tows us out. He brings a church of, uh, the course direction. He brings us about. So the momentum that you gain is not about you saying, oh, I turned my life around. It's actually, it's all about God. Your, your story is all about the, I was stuck and God got me out. God dug me out. God was that excavator that came and lifted me out and put me back on a straight and narrow. And all the glory and honor beyond to him. And so, you know, we don't hold anything for ourselves. But when you get on that momentum, you never want to lose it.
when God begins to build that spiritual momentum, that life momentum, that relational momentum in your life, is you're never satisfied to be stuck again. Ever. Amen? Amen.